Hi, I'm Hillary Acer, welcoming you to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and healthcare. Today, we continue our series on next-gen journeys, featuring conversations with students, residents, and early career medical professionals around the globe to get their fresh perspectives on education, medicine, and the future of healthcare. I'm delighted to do that today with Dr. Josh Bliss, a third-year internal medicine resident at New York Presbyterian Wheel Cornell Medicine who will continue his training there the next year as a hematology oncology fellow. He previously earned a doctor of pharmacy degree from St. John's University. Josh was actually one of the first osmosis medical education fellows, later transitioning to a role creating and editing pharmacology content with our education team. I'm looking forward to learning more about his journey into medicine, his interest in hematology oncology, and his research interest in exercise oncology. Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Yeah, it's great to reconnect with you and to also have followed your journey over the last several years. But for all of our listeners, I'd love to start with learning more about you and what first got you interested in the healthcare space. And I understand that it was shaped by actually the loss of your mother when you were quite young. So if you're open to sharing more about it, I'd love to learn more. Absolutely. Thanks, Hillary. So, yeah, so I I came from a you know a blue collar family out in Long Island, New York. Neither of my parents went to college and you know, we were just really hardworking upbringing, and it was a you know great childhood. I'm very thankful for it. a lot of loving family members and great memories. And sort of my life had this frame shift around seventh grade for me. I was eleven years old when my mother, for some time, was struggling with breast cancer, and I didn't fully understand it at the time. You know, a few years leading into that, you know, exactly what was happening. I just realized that. After school, I would go to the hospital with my sister and we would be there, you know, with my mom and long, you know, a long journey made short, you know, she had recurrence of her cancer and eventually passed away from it in 2004. And from that moment, both on a personal level, a family level, and then sort of a just broader perspective, I quickly learned the impact that cancer and not just cancer, but disease in general can have on the patient, the family, the immediate family, and then also just individuals that are sort of secondarily impacted by, you know, the patient. And for me, that journey began with, you know, to tell you the truth, depression and anxiety. I quickly went from, you know, playing sports and being social to being very withdrawn really playing video games and not doing homework and then not really being a good student, maybe getting involved in things I shouldn't be getting involved in, right? And I had this change when I when I realized that, you know, the path that I was heading towards was not a good one. And I needed to do something to not only help myself, but to help others. And my mother's story really impacted me significantly. I saw the struggle that not just I was having as an individual, but my family was having both emotionally and financially the impact of the cost of cancer treatment and all of these things. And so for me growing up in you know a public school, I didn't have too many mentors around me, either from you know my immediate family, since no one really went to college at that point. And 
I relied heavily on some teachers that I'm very thankful for. And they helped me along the way in terms of getting my schoolwork together. And a few years down the road, I had joined varsity wrestling. I lost 125 pounds. I got my act together with my grades and some teachers, you know, suggested that I look into healthcare as a potential career option. And I had no idea what I was doing. And eventually I, I actually stumbled upon pharmacy as a career path. And, you know, I, I applied to programs where you go directly from high school to pharmacy school. So sort of these zero six programs, they call them. And I was lucky enough to get into St. John's University in Queens. And that's where I you know, initially started my journey in, in healthcare with the goal of, you know, to tell you the truth, one, getting involved in healthcare in general and, and sort of honoring my mother through my career, being able to help others in the future. And then to tell you the truth, it's really also job security coming from a family of, you know, sort of lower socioeconomic status, having a stable career was something that was highly valued. And it was certainly, you know, something that was very excited to start. And so that's that initial journey through childhood into through high school and getting into St. John's Pharmacy School was sort of the initial phase of of this transition into uh, where I am today. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing all that, Josh. And I, I really appreciate the vulnerability of what you went through and obviously very sorry for your loss. And I'm, I'm sure that was very difficult at the time, maybe just for, again, our listeners. So I've known you through the Osmosis Medical Education Fellowship yeah. and <laughs> always seen you as such a high performing, you know, student, very ambitious. And, you know, you, you never really know the layers until you dig in. And so I really appreciate you yeah, sharing your your story and just being vulnerable and open to that. And I think is a good reminder that, you know, everybody kind of goes through various challenges that you may or may not know about. So congratulations on on what you've, you know, accomplished so far. And you, you started to mention your your journey into pharmacology. I would love to know kind of that transition point because now you're in you're in residency as a doctor. And mm -hmm. I'd love to know kind of what pulled you over from from pharmacy to medicine. Yeah, that's a great question, Hillary. So you know, through through the six years that I was in pharmacy school, I was able to do undergraduate work during that period. And then the last, that was two years. And then the last four years are really dedicated pharmacy school, where you work on the doctoral aspect of, of that program, the PharmD. And I really fell in love with pharmacology, pharmacokinetics, dynamics, all these fancy terms that people throw around in that sphere, and just the ability to impact disease and patients through these drugs that are constantly being developed and put into you know, the world for us to use and help patients with. During classes, I really was very interested in the underlying molecular structure of these drugs and seeing how that impacted their actual mechanism of action. I thought it was very beautiful that, you know, this actually just made sense all the way from your initial courses in chemistry from high school could be carried forward into practicing medicine. It was very, just very intriguing. I realized that in class, there would be periods of time where we would learn about certain diseases, say, you know, the cardiovascular system, the heart, right, the lungs, and the diseases associated with those systems. 
And we would spend some time on the pathophysiology of the disease, meaning the underlying causes. And then we would quickly move on to all of the drugs. There's limited time in, in higher education. You only have so many years to gather an inordinate amount of information. It's the classic drinking from a fire hydrant. And so there's not enough time to go over everything. But I found that after classes and after coursework, I was always left feeling that I wanted to know more about the underlying causes of these diseases. I was always just so intrigued with not just the underlying pharmacology and the treatments. I also wanted to know more about the diagnostics and the underlying physiology and pathophysiology of the diseases that we're treating. And throughout pharmacy school, I really did a lot of self-reflection and I learned quickly that in order to do what I wanted to do, I would need to transition into medical school sometime in the future. Quick two things on that. I kept an open mind. So I did my clerkship year, which is a full year of you know, clinical rotations in the hospital, in clinic, in the community pharmacies. And I was seeing if there was something that I could do where I could see myself doing for 30 years, 30 plus years as a career. And what I learned through those experiences was I was very passionate about pharmacy and I was also passionate about longitudinal relationships with patients. And I was passionate about combining multiple passions into one career. And that was mainly being incorporating exercise and the science of exercise, since it changed my life so much, and bringing it into patient care with pharmacology, with longitudinal patient care. And so knowing those things were important to me really led me to the decision to bite the bullet and take the MCAT during pharmacy school. And that's where that journey and transition began. Wow. Most people would say six years of pharmacology school is plenty, but you went ahead and signed up for, for four more medical and then plus your, your residency and, and fellowship years beyond that. So you've, you've been in school for a while now, it sounds like. It has been a while. Yes. <laughs> it feels like a while too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's pretty incredible that you you had that you know moment of self-reflection and you decided to what I would say is, you know, take a really courageous next step and and dive back in and, and really kind of fight for the career that you were hoping for and the career that would be most fulfilling for you, which it sounds like you're on that path now. So maybe we can double back on the exercise piece because I think it's so fascinating that you're integrating that. You have done some research on exercise oncology and it's something that I'm not personally very familiar with. I'd love to know what that field is about and what brought you to that field and maybe some of the research that you've been doing recently? Absolutely. You know, it's a it's a pretty niche field. It's a newly emerging and growing pretty rapidly, but essentially exercise oncology. So, you know, oncology being cancer and exercise being tagged to that name. So it's the study of exercise in cancer patients. And it encompasses both what we call basic science, and to folks that maybe aren't as familiar with that term, it doesn't mean simple science. It means in the laboratory. This tends to be what basic science means. And so this ranges from basic science lab experiments to working with patients in clinical trials 
and everything in between. And what the main focus is, is right now the standard for patient care in cancer is exercise is good for you. It helps your what's called functional status, which is really a fancy term of saying how robust of a person you are physically, because that's very important when it comes to tolerating treatments and having good outcomes in cancer treatment. The current conventional thought process is exercise helps with functional status, therefore it's good for you, you should do it as a cancer patient. But we know that exercise has profound effects on the body. This has been proven through many fields of study, not just in oncology, but in cardiology. You know, exercise improves mortality for the general population. We have recommendations on getting 150 minutes of exercise a week for just, you know, lay people out in the world. And there's a lot of science behind exercise and its metabolic effects, its effects on different organ systems. And so it makes sense that this would carry forward with not just the cells that we are born with and that are functioning normally, but it's interesting to think that maybe exercise has an effect on the cells that are behaving abnormally in cancer. And we are starting to look at that both in the lab and in clinical trials with patients where you could potentially dose exercise like you would a drug and you can measure it and you can standardize it and you can look at clinical effects just as you would with a trial looking at the effect of a drug. And that's really what we are you know, interested in. And my mentor, Dr. Lee Jones over at Memorial Sloan Kettering, he's really fantastic. He is a leader in the field and he is just very forward thinking and forward looking in terms of the future of oncology as a whole and the use of exercise as a tool an accessible tool, an affordable tool to help cancer patients. Fascinating that it's emerging and hopefully we have more, more studies to back that up. And I actually took a class back in the day called Biology of Cancer class. And in that class, we read a book called Anti-Cancer. I believe the author, I'll have to confirm, but I believe it was David Schreiber. And, and in that book, he goes on to describe his own cancer and the journey he went on, but a big part of it was focused on nutrition. And it sounds almost similar to exercise. It's something that we we think of as, you know, of course we should eat well, of course we should exercise and move, but it's actually, you know, a science. There's a, there's a definite science to it that you can prescribe and you can show very tangible results from. And I love that, you know, we're using the tools in front of us and we're actually digging into in some ways the, the most obvious, but the most accessible forms of medicine, right? Right. And it's, you know, sometimes these these things carry a stigma almost because they have not been fully studied in the same way that, you know, drugs are studied to certain degrees. And, but it is possible to do that. You just need the resources, the time and the commitment to do so. And you can get and build an evidence base for this. So it is exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And I, I look forward to following your results of, of various studies that you, you undertake. 
I know you've used osmosis throughout some of your learning and and maybe pharmacy school, but yes. also medical school, but would love to learn a little bit about yeah how you used it and maybe what role it played in your education. Absolutely. Yeah. In in pharmacy school, I never used it. I didn't know it existed back then, but I did use Khan Academy and those things back then, which are very helpful. And that actually osmosis in the early days, you know, feels familiar to that approach. For me in, in medical school, it was the same story. It was drinking from a fire hydrant again. And despite being a, an existing healthcare professional, a pharmacist, all of this information was new to me in medical school. You spend some time on pharmacology, you know, and that part was okay for me, but the rest of it is tremendously difficult to learn and master. And now you you really, in modern times, you need resources to help you. Traditional, conventional medical school in and of itself, while possible to get through, it is perhaps not the most effective or efficient method anymore. And we need other tools to help us along the way. And I realized that. And for me, I actually Googled medical school, you know, learning resources and, you know, osmosis popped up as a recommendation and I looked at it. I loved the overall aesthetic of the resources. It was very welcoming. It was the only resource out of all of them that was actually welcoming and not intimidating, which was very enticing for me because everything else at that time was intimidating going through medical school. And I, you know, quickly signed up and started learning through osmosis and it, you know, it, it stuck with me through basically all of the preclinical years. I'm glad you mentioned Khan Academy. So that was my alma alma mater. And there's a number <laughs> of osmosis teammates actually who worked at Khan Academy and definitely learned from a lot of the kind of disruptive and innovative things they were doing in education, right? It's short form videos, accessible. Sal is known for, you know, teaching to his cousin for starting Khan Academy, right? right. So it was very approachable. And we we definitely tried to think bring some of those learnings over into medicine, which is, as you mentioned, very complicated, very high stakes, very high volume. So how do you make it accessible? And we have, you know, huge team behind us to thank for for that, including you actually. So I do want to mention that you you played a big role in in Osmosis's content actually. And you you kind of started, I think, after you had studied with Osmosis, you joined the OMF program, the Osmosis Medical Education Fellowship. And you got more involved in our team and you eventually went on to become a content creator and editor. So maybe you can share a little bit about the content that you've influenced and, and how you've actually become kind of a teacher at Osmosis alongside your, your studying with Osmosis. Yeah, absolutely. The OMEP program, you know, came about, you know, I, I learned about it and and you know touch base. And then that was back in the day where Shiv actually called me personally. And now thinking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like Steve Jobs calling me. <laughs> but, I'm sure will appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I, I joined the OMEP program and had a great time. I learned a lot, met a lot of wonderful people all over, not just the country, but the world through that program. And through that, 
some of the faculty members over at Osmosis, you know, they realize I have a PharmD background and they were working on some pharmacology content. And so they really asked me as a, from a student perspective to weigh in on some of the content. And they sent over actually a script on H2 blockers used in, you know, acid reflux, essentially. And I ran through it and did some, you know, recommendations of how to make things more memorable. And I guess they appreciated it or liked it more than I thought it was worth. And they offered me, you know, a position to continue working as a, a content editor for Osmosis, which was very humbling. And I am forever thankful, you know, for that opportunity. And then since then, I, I worked closely with an amazing team of content editors and creators and content experts in pharmacology, working on multiple pharmacology scripts of, you know, basically detailing the information that someone does either learning in just, you know, PA school, nursing school, medical school, what they would need to know for their pharmacology curriculum. And that also included working with these amazing artists who did a fantastic job making scientifically accurate, but approachable diagrams for all of these drugs. And I just had a wonderful time doing that. Well, we appreciate your your contributions and are very glad that you one day just Googled osmosis or rather Googled those <laughs> medical support resources and, and kind of found your way into the program and our team and and obviously you've you've had a big impact in in other students learning which is is pretty neat and not many people can say so thanks for for being a part of that i'd love to kind of stick with this this teaching side of your background and of course we're knowledge company or teaching company and we try to fill in knowledge gaps and try to make learning more accessible and you know wearing your student hat and also wearing your content expert hat i'd love to know if there's a topic that you think osmosis should make a video about or a particular gap that we should fill in? I think it's, yeah, that's a great question. For me, I'm biased because I think that I have two things. You know, one is pharmacy school is a little different from medical school in that it's not quite as standardized across the board. And so each individual school will have their own sort of approach to teaching pharmacology and, you know, leading the PharmD program. There's no overarching like USMLE exams, for instance, and therefore there's no standardized way to learn pharmacology in pharmacy school. It's highly dependent on the institution. I would love to see a, you know, a pharmacy school directed curriculum with more detail in pharmacology that pharmacists need to learn to, to achieve where, you know, th their goals to get to where they want to be in their careers. That would be one that I am thinking of. And the other is probably a little off the cuff, but, you know, medical language courses, like the crash course in medical Mandarin, medical Spanish, etc., just to get through the basic vocabulary of things that maybe a healthcare professional would need to know to be able to more effectively and meaningfully interact with their patients, I think would be a, you know, a wonderful addition sometime in the future. Those are great suggestions and the things that are, are somewhat on our radar. So we continue to expand across different health professional programs. So we've just completed a, a full nursing 
offering and we're, we're trying to expand in PA and farm. So it's coming, but probably not fast enough. And then the, the language courses are really interesting. I would say that we've been looking at AI solutions quite a bit and kind of hopeful for maybe translator tools that could maybe be more plug and play. But I love the idea of, of some actual medical courses too, that would give clinicians a little bit more to understand there and, and maybe have more agency in. So those are great suggestions. One that that I think you would appreciate or that's on my list is, is around exercise and self-care. So I would just maybe invite you to collaborate with me when that when that gets off the ground. Very excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> we have some, you know, COVID yoga videos and meditation videos that we did long ago, but you know, with clinician burnout and just the amount of stress that that both you know clinicians or rather all clinicians, caregivers, and patients are, are undergoing, there's probably a lot more need for that. So, I'll keep you posted. And yeah. I, I will say, you know, speaking of these other disciplines that osmosis is focusing on, I did you know, mention osmosis and that I was coming on this podcast to a few of the wonderful PAs that work in our CCU and. They were beyond excited when they heard the word osmosis. They said, "Oh my gosh." Osmosis got me through PA school. It was just really very cool to see just kind of in the wild it happening. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, s- send them our way. We'd love to have them be a part of the community in some way or at least get, you know, involved in in using osmosis and and integrating it with patients or what whatnot. So speaking of, you know, your your current fellowship, I want to pause and just congratulate you. You've You've currently finished a couple of years of residency and you were selected to be a fellow at New York Presbyterian Will Cornell Medicine next year in hematology oncology. That's a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. But tell us a little bit about, you know, why that specialty and what in particular about this fellowship you're you're most looking to get out of it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a very meaningful moment when I finally matched. It's really, you know, and partly answering your next question of why it it's really coming full circle for me life goes by very quickly but at the same time the days can be you know very slow and arduous as they are for many people and you know being able to finally say that i'm going to be an oncologist was a very remarkable moment where i got to honor my mother you know and all of this is for her and for all the patients that are going to follow her. And so that's really why. And the the interests, the academic interests, you know, oncology is just this emerging, exploding field of really wonder. And it carries this opportunity to help patients in a way that is unique to that field. We are just growing exponentially, just as you mentioned, AI, right, is growing in this exponential manner. So too are the advancements that we're making in cancer. And when we speak to each other again in, you know, we touch base, say, 10 years from now, the what we talk about in cancer is going to be a completely different field. You're, you have to relearn it every couple of years. And that's very exciting to me. So that academic interest combined with the ability to take my passion exercise and really implement it into research while caring longitudinally for these just tremendously courageous cancer patients population just really forms a very meaningful life that I hope 
I can continue to be proud of. And that's, you know, that's really why this is happening. And I'm just thankful for it. Well, I'm, I'm sure that your mom would be incredibly proud of you as well. And, and if you don't mind, you know, me just sticking on, on that point a little bit longer, you know, I'm just curious, Josh, if she could, you know, look at you where you are now, what do you think she would say to you? And do you think she'd have any, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I hope that she would be proud of her son for, you know, pushing through barriers and achieving a goal that he set out for himself. I think that's what many parents would want for their children. And, you know, I hope that she knows that, you know, I'm happy and I'm happy in helping others. And I think that's really all you can ask in life. Yeah. Beautiful tribute, Josh. And yeah, it really speaks to your character and, and all that you've, you know, I think personally gone through and, and processing that and, and finding a meaningful way to, to give back to people in, in similar situations. And I think, you know, just knowing you for, for now five years and, and following your journey, I can say you've got just tremendous potential and a lot of impact ahead of you carrying both, you know, the direct experience of being a family member of an oncology patient going through plenty of school to get to now this, you know, kind of pinnacle of, of being an oncologist of what you've been working towards and and lots of patients will benefit from that as well as their their families and extended kind of communities. So yeah, just a, a really beautiful tribute. I look forward to continuing to follow that story. And and maybe just on on one last point before we close, you know, we we have a lot of early career health professionals in our audience, a lot of practicing clinicians, researchers, et cetera. But I'm wondering what advice you have as someone who has achieved expertise in more than one field at a very young age and who's managed to combine several passions in your work, what advice would you give to, to other health professionals? The first thing that comes to mind is don't be afraid to seek discomfort and be uncomfortable because that's where growth is and that's where opportunities are. And when you're looking at where you want to be, you should find the people that are most successful to you from your perspective and reach out to them out of the blue, send them an email, don't be afraid of them with their big titles and their big names and their big teams, reach out to those people and ask them questions of what their life is like. You'll be surprised how open and inviting people are and how quickly those people that you were once intimidated by or thought, you know, perhaps did not care about someone so early in their career stage actually care about you and want to mentor you. That's the great advice. And it sounds like you've applied that advice in your own career. And I'm sure you'll, you'll actually be on the flip side of that quite soon where the next generation of, of health professionals are probably a bit intimidated to get in touch with you, but you know, I'll, I'll make sure that we continue to share this advice and they reach out to you and get your mentorship as I'm sure they would benefit from. It's great advice, Josh. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts or any other closing points that you'd like to end with today? No, I, th I think we covered a lot and I'm just very thankful for, you know, this opportunity to um, be on my first podcast ever. Again, very intimidating, but and perhaps a little uncomfortable going into it, but you made it very easy and it was a, you know, just a great conversation. So thank you. Josh, always a pleasure catching up with you. And I couldn't be more excited to, to feature your story and to show kind of your non-traditional, but very 
heartfelt path to where you've gotten today. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm Hillary Acer. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.